everyone, from listener to supporter, please do so now. Give online at kpfk.org. Support comes from UCLA's Center for the Art of Performance, presenting Mago Zerreira on Saturday, March 9 at 8 p.m. at UCLA Nimoy Theater. A Latin American jazz vocalist, Herrera sings in Spanish, English, and Portuguese, blending contemporary jazz with Mexican folk staples and Latin American melodies and rhythms. For more information and tickets at CAP. Dot UCLA.edu and KPFK. Pra cantar, pra sambar, pra valer, pra morrer. 90.7 KPFK, Los Angeles. KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. All right, party people, and welcome to your Rebel Alliance News for Tuesday. Got a busy day, a lot of stuff going on in the world today, aside from this rain. In tonight's headlines, Julian Assange's clock is ticking. Truckers unite for Trump against New York City. U.S. votes no on a ceasefire in Gaza. Poisonous Quaker Oats, Polish truckers stop aid to Ukraine, your non-NATO news, and much, much more coming right up. Good evening, I'm Jack Kennedy. Palestinians have expressed anger after the U.S. again vetoed a U.N. Security Council draft resolution that would have called for a ceasefire. There's a great deal of pessimism and frustration. Palestinians no longer trust the international community, as we have been hearing from locals in Gaza. An Al Jazeera correspondent reported from Rafa. In remarks to the U.N. Security Council after the U.S. vetoed an Algerian resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza, U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Linda Thomas-Greenfield said that calling for an immediate ceasefire could stymie diplomatic efforts in progress to reach an agreement between Hamas and Israel for a pause in the fighting. The U.N. has consistently shielded Israel from diplomatic pressure at the U.N. since the war began, vetoing resolutions calling for a ceasefire on three occasions despite overwhelming support from U.N. member states. The U.S. is also Israel's primary supplier of arms. Gaza's government government media office has warned that more than 700,000 Palestinians in the north of the territory could perish from hunger as Israel restricts humanitarian aid to the area. Hunger is rampant in northern Gaza as Israel continues to block aid distribution missions there. A recent UN report, whose findings were collected at health centers, found that roughly 15% of children there under the age of two suffer from malnutrition. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. When you go to vote in the California primary, you may be surprised to see that in the race for the U.S. Senate, you're asked to vote twice. Plus, there are more names in the contest for the six-year Senate term, which starts in January 2025, than for the special election, which will last roughly a month once the November results are certified in early December. The point of the special election is to fill out the remainder of late California Senator Dianne Feinstein's seat. Adding to the confusion, Governor Gavin Newsom's appointment, LaFonza Butler decided not to run in either contest, so her name is not on the ballot. Kim Alexander, the president and founder of the California Voter Foundation, said this change is about due to a relatively new law enacted in 2022. Requires that there be an election when there's a vacancy instead of the governor appointing somebody and having that person fill out the entire term, she said. The two contests for the Senate could have been avoided if Newsom held a costly special election following Feinstein's death, but instead he appointed Butler. The same situation happened with Senator Alex Padilla after Kamala Harris was elected vice president. The reason the names are not the same is that the candidates have the choice. Do they want to run for both contests, or do they want to run solely for the full six-year term? As you'll see on your ballot, there were far more candidates who wanted to sign up for the full term than compete for that short term. Alexander said it's entirely possible officials may see voters elect one person to fill out the unexpired term and a different person to fill the full six-year term that starts in January 2025. So, prepare to vote twice again in the runoff election for this race in November, because the primary will just narrow the field for both contests in the U.S. Senate race. Can you hear the 
Investigators with the Los Angeles Police Department's Major Crimes Division are asking the public for assistance with identifying four suspects responsible for attacking three Turkish consulate members at the University of Southern California campus. According to a release from LAPD, the attack occurred at Downey and Watt after a planned event held by Armenian students and community members in September. Suspects who were part of a group of protesters approached the victims yelled derogatory statements, and physically attacked them. LAPD officials said the suspects pushed, punched, kicked, and threw water at the victims. The suspects then fled the area while the diplomats ran for safety, police added. Turkish-Armenian relations have been historically hostile. Organizers of the September protest were trying to bring attention to the humanitarian crisis at the region of Nagorno-Karabakh. While no suspect descriptions have been released, the LAPD provided photos of the four suspects. KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Truckers supporting Donald Trump are warning that the refusal to deliver to the Big Apple could paralyze New York City as more drivers vow to join the boycott following the ruling in the former president's civil fraud case. It could shut New York City down, said Jennifer Hernandez, a trucker who has joined in the protest. The Manhattan Supreme Court decided to fine Trump $355 million for inflating his net worth by billions to dupe banks and insurers. I'm not trying to hurt the people of New York. That's not what I'm trying to do, Hernandez insisted on News Nation Monday morning. New York loses just 10% of the trucks that go in there. Their prices are going to skyrocket on everything, from milk to eggs to any type of goods that consumers need. When that happens, it's going to cost everyone more money, she warned. Other truckers have been posting on social media expressing their support. KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Julian Assange's lawyers opened a final UK legal challenge today to stop the WikiLeaks founder from being sent to the United States to face spying charges arguing that the American authorities are seeking to punish him for exposing serious criminal acts by the U.S. state. Lawyer Edward Fitzgerald said Assange may suffer a flagrant denial of justice if he is sent to the U.S. At a two-day high court hearing, Assange's attorneys are asking judges to grant a new appeal, his last legal role of the dice in Britain. Assange himself was not in court. Judge Victoria Sharp said he was granted permission to come from Belmarsh Prison, where he has been held for the last five years, but had chosen not to attend. Fitzgerald said the 52-year-old Australian was unwell, but did not elaborate on his health. Assange has been fighting extradition for more than a decade, including seven years in self-exile in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, and the last five years in the high-security prison on the outskirts of the British capital. Jimmy Dore takes a closer look. 35 law professors write to Attorney General Merrick Garland urging him to drop the charges against Julian Assange. Over 35 law professors told the Justice Department a letter Wednesday that the espionage charges against Julian Assange pose an existential threat to the First Amendment. A- Andrew Wilkie, MP, now this is an MP from the UK, he says, I successfully moved a motion to recognize the importance of bringing Julian Assange's extradition to an end. The government voted for it uh, for it in an, end, in an unprecedented show of political support for Julian Assange. The U.S. must heed these calls and draw. Now, is that in, the U- in Australia? Yes. Eight? That's in Australia. Yes. That's not the UK. So let's listen. Well, Deputy Speaker, today... In this place, shortly, this will be the time for all of us to take a stand, to stand up and to take a stand, and to stand with Julian Assange, stand for the principles of justice. Friends, stand for the principles of media freedom and the rights of journalists to do their job. Deputy Speaker, I'm hopeful this motion can pass this afternoon. I'm hopeful that I can go to London next week and I can make it clear to the British government and through the media to the US government, that the Australian Parliament stands as one and calls for this matter to be brought to an end. Because regardless of what you might think of Julian Assange, and I acknowledge in this place there's a range of views. There are people that loathe the man. There are people who worship the man. But I tell you what, no matter which end of that spectrum you are uh, positioned, just about everyone agrees this has gone on too long, that it must be brought to an end. And I'm confident if this parliament can support this motion this afternoon, Deputy Speaker, it will send a very powerful political signal to the British government and to the US government. So uh, Stella Assange says Julian has not been convicted in the bogus case brought by the United States authorities he exposed. They have been detaining him in a UK high security prison for almost five years. He's not serving any sentence. There is no conviction. How can an innocent man be kept in prison? 
because you live in a devil country where that runs right. the world. Because the West are full of uh, psychopathic warmongers. Let's yeah. hear what Julian Assange has to say. <laughs> democracies or the pseudo democracies that we are evolving into. Wars are a result of lies. The Vietnam War and the push for U.S. involvement was a result of the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Which was a lie. A lie. Here, here. The Iraq War famously is a result of lies. Wars in Somalia are a result of lies. The Second World War and the German invasion of Poland was a result of carefully constructed lies. That is war by media. Let us ask ourselves of the complicit media, which is the majority of the mainstream press, what is the average death count attributed to each journalist? When we understand that wars come about as a result of lies peddled to the British public and the American public and the publics all over Europe and other countries, then who are the war criminals? It is not just leaders, it is not just soldiers, it is journalists. Journalists are war criminals. Wow. And why one might think that that should lead us to a state of despair, that the reality that is constructed around us is constructed by liars, is constructed by people who are close to those that they are meant to be policing. It should lead us also to an optimistic understanding, because if wars can be started by lies, truth can be started, peace can be started by truth. Well said, and I just like to point this out. These guys are war criminals. This guy exposed war crimes. Guess which one is in jail? Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Democrat Adam Schiff continues to lead in California's race for U.S. Senate, while Republican Steve Garvey appears to be solidifying the crucial second-place spot, according to a new Emerson College Next Star Media poll released Tuesday morning. Since January, Schiff has increased his support from 25 to 28%, Garvey's support increased from 18 to 22%, and Katie Porter has climbed from 13 to 16%, while Barbara Lee's support remained largely flat at 9%, the poll found. 17% of likely voters said they were still undecided, down from 24% in the previous Emerson College Nexstar poll, and a handful of other candidates remained in the low single digits. Voters were also asked if they knew about or watched last Monday's debate, and if so, who they believed won. 69% of those surveyed were familiar with the debate, 33% said Schiff won, followed by 19% for Porter, 18% for Garvey, and 9% for Lee. 21% of those surveyed said no candidate emerged as the clear winner. Brexit boss Nigel Farage is considering leading a class action lawsuit against the debanking practices of lenders in Britain, as over 3,000 people have claimed to have their accounts shut down. Last year, Nigel Farage sparked a political firestorm in the UK after revealing that his accounts at the NatWest Banking Group were shut down for political reasons, including his ties to former President Donald Trump, and for expressing views that do not align with the bank's values. Scandal resulted in the sacking of NatWest CEO Dame Alison Rose after it was revealed that she had leaked the Brexit leader's private financial financial details to the BBC while falsely trying to claim that the decision to debank Farage was not political. In the wake of the scandal, Farage set up a campaign to represent British citizens who had been unjustly debanked for political reasons over issues such as banks refusing to work with cash businesses. A little more than six months since then, it's been revealed that nearly 3,000 people have told the campaign they believe they were debanked. According to the Mail on Sunday, NatWest was cited the most by people claiming to have been debanked, making up 19% of those who contacted the campaign. A further 57 individuals alleged that NatWest subsidiary Coots, same bank that closed Mr. Farage's accounts, had shut their accounts down unfairly. Barclays was the next on the list with 412 allegations, HSBC with 245, and 172 at Lloyd's. The banks all claim they do not shut down accounts over political differences. Now, West has said that it has apologized to Mr. Farage and that his, quote, experience fell short of the standards that any customer should expect, unquote. However, while the bank acknowledged that while customers may feel frustration when their accounts are closed, 
It claims that it does not exit customers based on their legally held political views and beliefs, despite this having been comprehensively disproved in Farage's case. KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. A whistleblower working with Fonnie Willis warned her on a leaked audio tape that campaign funds were being misused. Shortly after that, the whistleblower was fired. Folks on the Hill, take a look. Bombshell new audio appears to show a whistleblower privately warned embattled Georgia DA Fonnie Willis that her top aide was abusing federal funds. Now, in the audio, Willis appears to agree with this whistleblower and say that she'd look into it. Yet a little less than two months later, the staffer who raised the concerns was fired. Let's take a listen to that audio. He told everybody in front of... Crystal, Deontay, everybody, we're going to get MacBooks, we're going to do that, we're going to get swag, we're going to use it for travel. I said, you cannot do that. It's a very, very specific grant. Took me off. I questioned Junior DA. There's kids in there from out of the, the, um, the county, all this. Took me off Junior DA. I did not want to do it. He made it look as if I wasn't doing what I needed to do because I questioned him. Because so, I knew for a fact, Mr. Cuffey respectfully did not know what he was doing, so, period. So I respect that is your assessment. Um, it was clear to me that you and Mr. Cuffey were not getting along. And I'm not saying that your assessment is wrong. I want you to really listen to the words I'm saying. Cuffey, and this is my personal opinion to one woman to another, is dangerous to your administration. Yeah. So the implication here is that this whistleblower came forward about another employee who wanted to misuse grant funds. And after coming forward in that kind of, you know, nervous, heated, excited way that we just heard, she was the one that was ultimately fired. Now, you also did hear Fannie Willis say, I know that you guys have been having trouble at work. So this is a snippet of a broader circumstance. Who right. knows? There's other reasons that people could be fired. Sometimes people are substantively on the right, but there are employment problems that absolutely out outstrip the conflict at issue here. Who knows? Absolutely. We should proceed cautiously. This, so this whistleblower who was fired um, spoke to the Free Beacon, Washington Free Beacon, and provided this audio. But I have to say, what's alleged in here is extremely serious. Um, what the whistleblower says is that this grant, and the whistleblower worked uh, doing, uh, in the DA, in Fonnie Wilson's office, doing work with um, nonviolent juvenile offenders. Um, you know, this is important work. Um, that they received a grant from the federal government earmarked for the creation of a center of youth empowerment and gang prevention. Again, that sounds like a very worthy cause for public funding. And and what she says is this is other employee, Michael Cuffey, wanted to use it to purchase swag, computers and travel um, to you know misuse funds for the greater enjoyment of the office. And she went to Fonnie Wills and said, he can't do that. That's not what, what it's for. This is exactly what we want. This is what everyone wants. When there's misuse of public funding for government employees to speak up and report it and say something about it. That's what we all want. So good for her for doing that. Um, and Fonnie Wills there is trying to, you know, put her, calm her down. It, it's clear this was a, you know, a difficult workplace that she didn't get along with the person. Fonnie Wills tries to calm her down and then we don't know what happens, but she lets her go two months later. Um, a very serious accusation that we would need to learn more about. Obviously, we need to hear the other side of the story. But um, I'm glad this person has come forward because, frankly, it, independent of the Trump case, it really doesn't have anything to do with the it Trump case. It could Trump speak, case. you know, further to just Fannie Willis's judgment. Obviously, she's involved in this um, other um, uh, national story about uh, whether she similarly misappropriate, whether she herself misappropriated public funds by um, by hiring her uh, her lover at the time, who's now uh, divorcing his wife, and it, they are a couple, it seems to be, and then that he, not that hiring him was necessarily wrong, but then he took her on trips, so it was in some indirect way a kickback, um, and that's all coming out um, through his own, this Nathan Wade, his uh, divorce um, action going on. Right. In a lot of ways, I don't know, we don't need this story to know that Fonnie Willis has already demonstrated bad judgment yeah. in the context of, you know, having a relationship isn't illegal. Even having a relationship with someone that you're working with, even if it's cheating, they're cheating on their spouse. None of those things are illegal, whatever you think the ethical implications of them are. Um, but the question is whether or not he, she, he was overpaid. 
and whether or not he was hired when otherwise he wouldn't have been hired because right. it inured to the personal benefit of Fonnie Willis, which again, I think her worst crime is basically how she's addressed it since the scandal has come out. She hasn't taken on the crit criticisms head on at all. She's made these vague allusions to the fact that she is being attacked for, for, racial, being re for re re racial reasons. And uh, this person is, at the end of the day, you just have to address fraud accusations like this quickly and then deal with it. The case can be reassigned to a different prosecutor. There's a lot of political interests the Democrats have in resolving this and moving on. And instead of doing that, she seems to be treading water. And, and this whistleblower, I didn't use her name, her name, but her name is Amanda Timpson. She has been named. This isn't an anonymous accusation against, uh, against um, Fonnie Willis. She has come forward to present her side of the story. She gave audio to support her side of the story. You know, she's because I always caution you can only do so much with people anonymously complaining about the environment in their in their work. I mean, that's true of whoever the administration is. It gets to be a little like the media loves it. Like, oh, insider in X office says everything's dysfunctional, everything's bad, and this person's horrible. Okay, well, if you're not going to say it on the record, if you're not going to put your own credibility at stake, we can only do so much with it. She's come forward, which I think is a is a is important in a, in a case like this, and we would like to hear yeah. more about the situation. Um, and it doesn't impact, doesn't really impact their argument against Trump, but it does look very bad. Uh, just get to look rid bad of her. DA. I just yeah. can't, for the life of me, understand why she's not gone already. For the sake of the country, she I mean, I don't quite know what the precise mechanism is here. Which could she? recuse herself and they have have appointed some other DA to handle it? Does she need to actually exit the office? I don't know. No, I don't think she has to exit the office like at all. That. But I think the case can be reassigned yeah, to a new prosecutor. It should not be handled by her at this point. Um, and even if it's not her, like move the partner at the very least off of the case. But I, it just, this is so unnecessary. Why, why are we holding on to these two people being involved? I just don't get it. Don't push me cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. All right. And it is once again that time of the year when we need your donations here on KPFK. Your donations fund this station. And that is how we stay afloat. That's how we bring you this uncorrupted news. So if you want to donate, give us a call at 818 985 5735. You can also donate online at kpfk.org. We're not funded by anybody, and so we are not subservient to what they tell us to say. This is how we keep the news uncorrupted and pure is the driven snow. So if you want to keep it that way and you want to keep us on the air, give us a call, 818-985-5735. Once again, kpfk.org. If you listen regularly, you should really donate. That's, uh, that's kind of how it works. These things don't happen for free. We got a building here. We got power we need to keep on. Some basic things. This whole show, it is volunteer run. I'm a volunteer. Everyone here on the show is a volunteer. But there are some things that we do need to pay for, and we need your money to do that. So please give us a call at 818-985-5735-kpfk.org. I will be standing by the phone waiting for your call. And when you call, we can talk for a little bit, maybe talk about our astrological chart, whatever you want, and then you can donate 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks, whatever you want to give, five bucks. Maybe don't get a cup of coffee tomorrow and instead give five bucks to KPFK because we need it. 818-985-5735. That's kpfk.org. Give us a call now. KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Ryan Christian had his accounts frozen and money confiscated with PayPal, Patreon, Venmo, LinkedIn, and a host of other sites for his nonpartisan truthful coverage of world events. Kim Iverson discusses. So you're so you've been uh, banned completely. Your channel wiped off of YouTube. Mm -hmm. You've been wiped off of Twitter several times. What about what about the other platforms? Uh, yeah, you name it. Facebook, multiple times. I'm on like my fourth account, pirate account for Facebook. Uh, you know, but crazy things like LinkedIn, they just, I had paid for an entire year membership and they deleted the whole thing or random things like Venmo where they just deleted my account when I never used it for anything other than paying my exterminator, you know, just because it was connected to something else or the larger ones like PayPal. They stole thousands of dollars from me, never got it back. Patreon, deleted the whole thing, stole money, never got it back. Whitney is in the same regard with, with Patreon for things that are now correct. I think it was either blood clots or myocarditis when they censored the whole right. thing. So, so Patreon kicked you off of Patreon? 
Mm-hmm. Since block the whole thing, they just they will. Te- it's one of these permanently suspended games where it's uh-huh. there, but I'm not going to delete what they want me to delete, so it just kind of stays there forever. And PayPal did this to you as well. They yeah. cut you off. That was not even a choice to do anything about it. They just booted me out, held the money under some process, and I never got it back. How long ago was that? Oh, years. I, I had How can they hold on to that money? How can they steal the money like that? I could tell you. We, I had a real, lot of talks about this at the time. That That's a crime. There's no way around it. So what right. they argue is they because the, impl- the implication is that I'm doing something illegal or wrong or whatever. So they go, we're going to hold it in case we need to use that money to pay for things you did wrong or pay people that might have you've stolen from or, you know, whatever. So we're holding it just in case. And after a six month process of investigation, they tell you that they'll get back to you. And and I've talked to at least three other people that went through the same process and never got that follow-up. They just kept the money and I've reached back out. No response. How are they able to do that? That just seems so, especially, I mean, have you been, have you been charged with a crime? No, no. I mean, that's the thing. I wasn't, in fact, even violating their rules. Like that, that's the cl- the point. It c- goes back to the same game about uh, it was I think it's either associating with, you know, promoting terrorist organizations or, you know, simply by like talking about foreign policy dynamics or something like that. And it's it's not, you know, these at the, case, the time we talked about this, I did an incredibly deep dive on what they were claiming. There's no violation even of their own terms of service. I mean, that it. it- how can they just take the money? I mean, that they're yeah. not even, it's not like they're paying you. It's it's not like YouTube, right? Where where they're running ads on your show. They're, you know, they've got an ad sales team. They're handling all of that. They're giving you a cut of the money. So it's like a business partnership. That's one thing where then they say, okay, we're going to end the business partnership and we don't want you to make any money from us anymore, right? That, that's mm-hmm. one thing. But PayPal is just an intermediary. I mean, they're just taking money from one, holding it so that then they can yep. distribute it to another. How can they get away with stealing that money that was never theirs? It's yeah. not like they were giving you a cut from something, that a, a business deal you were doing together. Yeah, and on top of that, the point that I made at the time was, look, these people sent this in in good faith to me, right? right. They, this was not to you. So at very least, at the very least, you should be refunding them, right? But that's right. not what happened because I reached out to multiple people, and you know they never got anything back, and because there were like people that had like recurring donations, you know, some of them for you know hundred dollars a month or stuff like right. that. And you know, it, it not only was that money. So here's the thing too: they took the money that, that was just sitting in the account. But don't forget the the real point was that we had, I think at the time, it was like three four thousand dollars recurring coming through there now talk about that's a huge hit anybody in this business knows that's right. huge like that that was a like we need to reevaluate how we're going to run this business right it's, it's crazy so how are you running it now i mean what 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 um how do you collect money if you can't do it through venmo or paypal or patreon yeah i mean what are you doing now it's a it's a precarious situation and you know it's a, it's one that a lot of people are are coming to terms with and even even beyond that like people like Mercola had his you know entire bank account removed and all that kind of stuff so what I'm doing is just trying to find platforms that I think are more amenable to free speech man that is just really frightening and the yeah. thought that like Mercola that you could be debanked and not only was Mercola debanked but people just working there or it wasn't it like a whole yeah. slew of people yeah were crazy yeah, it was. I believe it was a COO, and then like their family members. Right. right. Yeah. It was like, like that. That's explicitly what happened. It was. It was the son. I, I said like only in regard to the COO. I forget if that's the right title. But the yeah. family members of people he worked with, they had their banks frozen. Like, think about that. Like, we're talking the families and the children, you know, who have lives and and tuition, and you know, it's like it's just unparalleled. I just can't. And so this is where I see this going for sure. I just wonder when that's going to start happening, or or the trucker convoy, right in Canada. Right. They did the same thing. Well, the fact that we're even hearing the fact that I that I know a person, you, that this has happened to where, you know, where you're being where PayPal's cutting you off, Venmo's cutting you off, stealing your money. The fact that this is, you know, one one removed, right? One person removed. That is because previously we would just maybe hear stories of, oh, this happened to so and so. But now this is happening so frequently. I mean, we're hearing about it more often. The trucker convoy, as you mentioned, Mercola, yourself, the list goes on and on of the people that this is actually happening to. And so this is no longer just like, oh, that fringe terrorist that was uh, in their basement with their terrorist cell and that's what they were stopping because that was really kind of the premise of of halt of debanking somebody or of, of mm-hmm. halting payments to that person, right? So that they couldn't commit acts of terror, they could, couldn't, couldn't commit crimes. But these are thought crimes. I mean, Mercola, what kind of crime is he committing? What kind of crime are you committing? The trucker convoy, the protests, these are thought crimes. And they're and going after people. charged with a crime, though. Like, right. And they're not even, right. Right. <laughs> There's no, right. Well, because they haven't been able to figure out a way to, to, to criminalize thought as, as much. Yet. 
Not yet, right? <laughs> that is just so dystopian that this is, and and this is where we're headed. Uh, well, let's just start with this one then, this conversation. I do want to get into a bunch of stuff like the smart dust and the nanotech and and whatnot, but let's talk about the, right now, the where we're headed with this kind of digital world the great reset. I, where where do you think this falls? In? Would would you say this is part of a great reset? Would you say this is part of technocratic control? Would you say you know the fact that they're trying to digitize everything? I went to the bank yesterday, for example, and when I was there at the bank, I, I received new cards for my bank account, mm. and I I noticed that the cards looked pretty different. And the banker said, "Oh, uh, yeah, it's because we're trying to get everybody to go digital." You know, we're trying to get rid of the physical cards. So we're trying to just go, and which, I mean, the card is already tech as it is, right? It's not physical cash. It's not gold in my pocket. It's, I'm relying on this card that's connected to a bank account, which is a digitized, digitized numbers, right? <laughs> Hoping right. that the numbers still exist and that I can use those <laughs> numbers. Um, but, but they are, they're wanting us to go digital. There's uh, talks of, you know, digital driver's license, Right just digitizing our whole lives. Mm -hmm. Where is this part of great reset would you say? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the great reset is a part of the larger technocratic agenda. Like it that is like the initiative that is meant to drive us into this this technocratic age. And this is what well, the craziest thing about these conversations, it's these aren't even debatable like th th remember during the beginning of this the the term great reset was team this deemed excuse me a conspiracy theory. Yeah, legitimately, like while there were a right, book was written right. about it, like it's just so ridiculous. Right. And so the same thing, like technocracy is not a, a conspiracy theory. There are people right. that legitimately believe there should be a scientific technocratic elite that ultimately make decisions. This goes back to like the 70s where this was really proposed as like, well, we should shift into a new style, which it, in, a, in an interesting way make, uh, you know, you could argue it might have even started from like a legitimate point to say our politicians are crazy and ridiculous and they don't care about us. So maybe we should lean into the the experts and let them decide, which I don't think any of that makes sense at the end of the day. But today we're watching people, I argue, trying to kind of capitalize on that idea and create a new dynamic because I think they're aware of the kind of diminishing power structure in the way it currently stands. That'd be my opinion. But I think the Great Reset is absolutely about executing a transition into, you know, the reimagining our lives for the benefit of the control structure. And yeah. th that's what, and technocracy is tapped into all the stuff you're talking about. The digital IDs, it, it allows a situation to be built. Imagine the term that we talk about is like the technocratic panopticon. You're building a situation where you may not necessarily be aware that there's anybody looking at you, but you're under the impression that you're always being watched, that everything is tracked, which is essentially what's happening. And yeah. we talked about the vaccine passports and all of that, social credit. These are all tenets of the Great Reset and what technocracy is trying to accomplish, I would argue. It's very scary uh, when I think about how dependent my own life is on tech, mm. you know, and I think about, well, okay, if the power goes out and I mean, I don't even have a landline. I was talking to somebody the other day who has landlines anymore. And then the person brought up a good point. They said, well, what if there's an emergency and all the cell towers go out? Like maybe you should have a landline. And I thought, yeah. oh, I don't even think I have a telephone jack in my house, honestly, in order <laughs> to plug in a landline. I don't, I don't wouldn't even know where to find it. I think they've all been covered up. Um, you know, but we are so dependent on tech that they really, once they get us to that point, then they really can control our behavior. That's really like we saw that with the trucker convoy, mm -hmm. speak out, lose your livelihood, speak right. out, your bank account gets frozen. You're not able to spend money. They could, they could uh, turn off, you know, at that point, they could get your cell phone, right? The cell phone company to shut down your communications. They've already tried to shut us down on social media. I mean, these are, this is extremely frightening that I, I try to think back to when there were kingdoms and fiefdoms, right? And people right. were under the control of the monarchies. You know, how did the monarchy gain control over the people? How did they get the people to comply with the wishes of, especially like really dystopian stuff? Like there was some right. stuff that, you know, the king would would rape the women, you know, that or, or whatever, right? Like all these really atrocious stories. And you wonder, how did, why did people put up with this? Mm -hmm. Why did they, why did they allow this to happen? Yeah. It well, they ahead. had a control over them, right? I mean, right. they had some level of control. And maybe that type of control doesn't work today, but they've, they're figuring out another level of control. But it's the same idea, right? It's the same like keeping the little people, the peasants, yeah. controlled. <laughs> It's a perceived power dynamic, right? And that's really, and, you know, it, it's all really an illusion at the end of the day, other than like actual kinetic force and weapons and stuff like that. But the point right. being that we perceive them to be in control, to be powerful, to be, you know, all seeing. And, you know, and so and, and a lot of people 
fall into that and don't even question these dynamics. I think a lot more people are beginning to. But to your point about like the tech, I, I think what you said there is exactly right, in my opinion. This is about... A, a, like I said before, sort of a dying power structure that's recognizing people are seeing through it and are trying to reimagine how that control can, you know, we, we're being driven into a situation where I argue they'll never need to reimagine it again. KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Polish farmers demanding an end to the inflow of cheaper produce are blocking trucks carrying Kiev-bound military aid, a Ukrainian activist has claimed. The protesters had earlier vowed to disrupt the transportation of goods not only through vehicle checkpoints, but also via rail. Polish truckers and farmers began staging regular blockades on the border with Ukraine in October 2023, protesting against the EU's decision to exempt Ukrainian haulers from having to seek permits to enter the bloc. The activists insist that the measures introduced since the conflict between Moscow and Kiev erupted in early 2022 have led to unfair competition and driven down the price of agricultural produce. The blockades were briefly lifted in January after the government in Warsaw pledged to reinstate a permit system for Ukrainian truckers and introduce subsidies for Polish corn. However, protests resumed earlier this month after the European Commission proposed extending the suspension of customs duties on agricultural goods from Ukraine and Moldova through 2025. In a post on X, formerly Twitter, on Monday, Ukrainian volunteer Nazar Smik, who describes himself as someone who procures military equipment and vehicles for Kiev's troops, complained that his, quote, trucks have been standing idle with military equipment at the border for three days, end quote, due to the blockade. Several days prior, thousands of farmers demonstrated in approximately 260 communities across Poland with their tractors and heavy machinery. The Solidarity Trade Union behind the rallies accused the Polish government of kowtowing to the EU's guidelines on the, quote, import of agricultural produce and food products from Ukraine, end quote. KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. And it is February, which means it's time for our pledge drive. That's right, 818-985-5735-KPFK.org. This is where you can go to donate here to KPFK. We really need your donations here at the station. This is all volunteer run, and we are dependent on you, the listener, to pay for what you're listening to. That's right. It's uncomfortable to ask for money. I never liked doing it for my parents, but sometimes you got to do it. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm asking you to please Call right now, 818-985-5735, or go to kpfk.org and make a donation. I'm sure you can handle 200 bucks, 100 bucks, 500 bucks, $1,000. Maybe you're independently wealthy and you want to donate $10,000. That would be surprising. I'd be shocked if that happened, but it, it happens. You know, there's people out there that have a lot of money and they live in Los Angeles. I'm not one of them, but that's cool. I'm not complaining. But I'm complaining about you if you do have money and you're not donating. So you need to call right now if you're listening. You'll feel really guilty if you don't. Call 818-985-5735-KPFK.org. Call right now and make a donation. As the U.S. meanders into the future with multiple wars in multiple countries, Glenn Greenwald and Jeffrey Sachs discuss the United States' baffling foreign policy. When we talked to you six months ago, there was one war. When we talked to you two months ago, there were two. Now there are many it's hard to know where to begin, but why don't we just start with Ukraine, which is the oldest one, and work our way up. There seems to be a lot of chaos in Kiev, where President Zelensky just fired his top commander. There's certainly chaos in Washington, where they can't figure out how to get the next $60 billion to Ukraine, even though they want to. What do you make of where we are in this war? Well, on the battlefield, uh, Russia is uh, taking apart Ukraine, and the uh, death toll uh, for the Ukrainians is uh, terrifying. Uh, but Washington remains uh, steadfast on one point, which is no negotiations, no discussion of real solutions, a war-only approach. It's pathetic, uh, absolutely pathetic. And the idea of uh, putting another $61 billion into more deaths for Ukraine, more destruction for Ukraine, without a word about politics and a solution to this is Biden's complete failure. So I, I find the situation shocking. I find it shocking that uh, a large part of the Senate and almost all of the Democratic Party mindlessly goes along with this. Uh, we have heard since those two months 
even more stories about how the U.S. stopped the negotiated settlement in, two, in 2022. This is... Uh, mind-boggling in the complete absence of any interest whatsoever in ending this war. Well, let's, let me ask you about that, because you've been a critic from the start of the U.S. role in Ukraine. Um, I have as well. There's no consolation to have been vindicated, given how disastrous the war has been. But certainly everything you're describing now is visible to everybody in Washington, even if somehow it wasn't at the start of the war, that Ukraine cannot win. There's no way to expel all Russian troops from Ukrainian soil, let alone from Crimea. There's just no possibility of any of those objectives being fulfilled. What, at this point, do you think is the objective? or has what? And looking back, what has been the objective all along? Well, I think the objective uh, all along for the last 30 years was to uh, put uh, the U.S. and NATO into Ukraine. Uh, and uh, at each point, uh, Biden, uh, Sullivan, Blinken, Newland. Uh, on <laughs> this has been going on for uh, more than a decade. And before that, it was Newland as part of the uh, Bush administration. They thought they could uh, bluff their way in or frighten their frighten Putin and their way in and so forth. It's just been one stupid, uh, cruelly ignorant miscalculation after another. Uh, they got to the point where every gambit failed. Uh, the only thing that they accomplished was spending more than $100 billion of U.S. money and about 500,000 casualties uh, in Ukraine, a, a catastrophe. And now they have an election coming. So to my mind, uh, at least one part of this story is just get to November without an embarrassment, no matter how many more deaths they cause. Another $61 billion doesn't matter. It's not their money. They're just trying to uh, avoid embarrassment for what has been uh, an absolutely disgraceful foreign policy for a decade. Uh, we're, we're in the 10th anniversary of Biden, Newland, Blinken, Sullivan participating in the overthrow of the Yanukovych government. And this is what it's brought, complete disaster for Ukraine and nothing good for the United States. Guess that there's one silver lining. It's the fact that this request for $60 billion has been pending before the Congress for several months now. They struggled for a long time, and it, as of this week, they're trying everything, and so far nothing's working, not just to send $60 billion to Ukraine, but also another $17 billion to Israel. Is this just something that you think is kind of an election year theater in Congress where they're kind of uh, trading for things and eventually will send it? Or do you think it actually reflects some change in the politics in terms of what Americans think about sending huge amounts of money to finance other countries' wars when our country is in many ways falling apart? Well, I think it is exactly the fact the Americans are completely against this. Uh, spend another $61 billion with the massive budget deficits, with the cuts in essential services. I point out uh, in, in, a, uh, in a post today that the $61 billion exceeds our uh, nutrition programs for women and children, uh, Environmental Protection Agency, the National Science Foundation, the Department of Labor added all together. But, you know, it's games for these senators. I think what's interesting is, in fact, it's routine for the senators to routinely vote mindlessly money for the military industrial complex. And the fact that they're with these hiccups right now and they, they want to do it, but they can't do it is because it's so atrocious what they're being asked to do. Something that it is, is a disaster in Ukraine and that is complicity in genocide in the case of the war in Gaza. And so it's completely unjustified, this money. And yet they're still trying, trying, because their normal mode is to vote money for the military. And for this to be even a hiccup right now is something different. It's because the American people are absolutely against it. And because the real purposes of this are so awful <laughs> that there's no justification. And interestingly, there's well, there's debate. There's no substantive discussion. You don't hear Chuck Schumer, who pushes this every day, give a speech explaining anything or discussing the context or what's really going on. It's mindlessness. 
They just want to vote money for the military and they want to avoid any embarrassment before the November election. But there's no substance behind it. And that's why they're tripping up right now. Moving to the second war, which is the one we're financing and arming Israel to carry out in the destruction of Gaza. We spoke in November about a month into the war, and obviously you were making a lot of observations about how atrocious that war was at the time. We're now four months into the war, three months later. Things have gotten cataclysmically and exponentially worse. Um, where do we stand in this war, and what now do you think Israel's actual objectives are? They're saying this war is going to last for several more months. They just rejected Hamas's counteroffer for a ceasefire. Netanyahu seems intent on continuing this. What do you see as the driving motives here? Well, I think uh, the key event uh, since we last talked was the ruling of the International Court of Justice, which said that there are plausible grounds that Israel is committing genocide. And that means, by the way, that America is complicit in a genocide, if that's what the ultimate finding is. And I think that there are good reasons for the court to have made that ruling. When you find genocide, it's both a matter of the incredible destruction and cruelty on the ground Two million people displaced, around 30,000 dead, 70% of whom are women and children. We watched the demolition of universities, of schools, of mosques, of hospitals, of apartment buildings before our eyes with the gleeful uh, members of the Israeli Defense Forces. And the second part of a genocide finding is intent. And there, the intent is, is that the Israeli cabinet doesn't disguise what they want. They want the Palestinians gone. They want ethnic cleansing. If if it means death because the Palestinians won't leave, so be it. Don't push me cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. A pesticide linked to reproductive and developmental issues in animals was found in oat-based foods sold in the U.S., including under major brand names like Cheerios and Quaker Oats. Chlormaquat was detected in 80% of people tested in three geographical regions of the U.S. between 2017 and 2023. Researchers also found that the concentrations detected in 2023 samples were significantly higher than previous year's samples. While some studies published in the National Library of Medicine linked the chemical to reproductive or developmental issues in animals, it raises, quote, questions about whether it could also harm humans, end quote, EWG researchers noted. In 2018, researchers noted that the Environmental Protection Agency published acceptable food tolerance levels for chlormaquat chloride in imported oat, wheat, barley, as well as some animal products. In 2020, allowable levels were then increased for oats, the study said. The use of chlormaquat on food crops like wheat, oats, and barley decreases the stem height of plants, making them less likely to bend over and easier to harvest, according to EWG. Along with testing the pesticide in humans, researchers simultaneously studied the levels of chlormaquat in oats and wheat-based products purchased in the U.S. in 2022 and 2023, and identified, quote, detectable levels of chlormaquat in all but two of 25 conventional oat-based products, end quote. For KPFK's Rebel Alliance News, here are your international news from sources outside of the NATO-controlled media sphere. Outside the High Court in London, the final appeal against Julian Assange's extradition to the United States on espionage charges is now in session. RT Steve Sweeney reports on what the whistleblower's family members have said ahead of the hearing. This treatment and this case, this persecution of Julian, has made the UK and the US an embarrassment on the world stage. It is their shame. And they can bring it to an end simply by letting Julian go and re-establishing themselves as human rights advocates that can be powerful around the world. So, free, free Julian Assange. This case is an admission by the United States that they now criminalize investigative journalism. It's an attack 
on all journalists all over the world. It's an attack on the truth and it's an attack on the public's right to know. Hundreds of campaigners and supporters of WikiLeaks co-founder Julian Assange have gathered here outside the High Court in central London on what they're calling a Day X. Now this is the critical two-day hearing for Julian Assange's potential extradition to the United States. Now this court case dates back to 2010 and 2011 when Julian Assange published a trove of documents which revealed war crimes or alleged war crimes we should say that were committed by the United States in both Iraq and Afghanistan. For campaigners and for the press freedom organizations are here uh, this is a critical court case. This is a court case that is not just about Julian Assange but it is about the right for people to publish uh, information that is in the broader public interest. That They're saying that this is an attack on press freedom. Exposing things which uh, the mighty, the almighty in the world doesn't want to hear. This is real journalism. And so I'm supporting the case of Julian Assange. I'm here, I came here to London to inform uh, both people in London about, uh, the, about Julian Assange, but also my people at home in Germany. For campaigners, this is a highly political case, uh, very highly charged with the involvement of two big powers, both Britain and the United States. And not only did Assange expose the war crimes of the United States, his case has exposed the corruption of our mainstream press, the corruption of our judiciary, and the corruption of our entire political class. For Stella Assange, Julian's wife, this is a matter of life or death. And she has reiterated once more that if Julian is extradited to the United States, where he faces 175 years in prison under the Espionage Act, uh, a dated piece of legislation introduced in 1917. This will be the first time that a publisher has been charged under the act that if he is extradited, that he will die in prison. Now, there have been fears for his both his mental and physical health. This has even been reiterated by a UN special rapporteur who described the conditions that Julian is held in in Belmarsh High Security Prison as torture. Now, let's not forget that Julian Assange has not been convicted or charged with any crime by Britain. He was, uh, of course, he sought sanctuary in the Ecuadorian embassy, but in 2019, police forcibly removed him and transferred him to what is a high security prison, usually reserved for those that have committed acts of terror. Now, the date, these next two dates, Tuesday and Wednesday, are going to be absolutely critical. Uh, this will determine whether Julian is going to be extradited. That decision could take place very, very quickly. Now, Stella Assange has said that should the High Court rule in favour of extradition, that she will appeal or potentially appeal to the European Court of Human Rights. The Yemeni military says it has carried out a missile strike on a British cargo ship in the Gulf of Aden, the latest retaliatory operation in support of the Palestinians in Gaza. Yemenis say such strikes will continue as long as Israel's hostilities in Gaza and the all-out U.S. support for the regime continue. Abdulatif Al-Washali reports from the Yemeni capital, San'a. In yet another operation against Western interests and support of Palestinian and war-torn Gaza, the spokesman for the Yemeni army announced the successful targeting of the British vessel Robimar in the Gulf of Aden with naval missiles. The reprisal operation resulted in damage and complete cessation of its functioning. Yahya Saria said the ship is now on the verge of sinking and that the Yemeni army is ensuring the safe evacuation of the crew. The naval forces of the Yemeni armed forces, with the help of God, carried out a military operation targeting a British ship in the Gulf of Aden, Rubimar, with a number of appropriate naval missiles. The results of the operation were the following. The ship was seriously damaged, causing it to stop completely. As a result of the extensive damage the ship suffered, it is now at risk of sinking in the Gulf of Aden. During the operation, we made sure that the ship's crew exited safely. 
The Yemeni army also shut down an American MQ-9 drone in Hodeida while it was engaged in hostile actions against the Arab country. Experts interpret this operation as a message to the U.S. and the U.K. that Yemeni naval operations will continue until Israel ends its genocidal war in Gaza. The military operations carried out by the Yemeni naval forces and their targeting of American ships and drones will not stop unless the aggression against our brothers in Gaza stops. This is a new victory for the Yemeni army. Yemenis have asserted that the retaliatory operations will not end as long as the Gaza war and all-out U.S. support for Israelis continue. Since the start of the Israeli military campaign against the Gaza Strip, the Yemeni army has conducted naval operations against Israeli-bound vessels in solidarity with the Palestinians. They have also launched numerous ballistic missiles against the occupied territories of Palestine. Observers say the American designation of the Ansarullah movement as a terrorist group has not succeeded in halting the Yemeni army's naval operations. They believe that the U.S. and the U.K. will eventually come to realize that halting the Israeli genocide in Gaza is the only way to protect their interests in the volatile region. Russian troops have assumed full control of the key Donbass city of Avdeevka. Following months of fierce battles, the defeated Ukrainian troops retreated from the key city in the Donetsk Republic. Artis Shea Bose discusses the significance of the decisive victory. This is a city central to Ukraine's defenses in Donbass. It's a city the Ukrainian army had been fortifying since 2014. And its importance up until the Russian troops defeated the Ukrainian army there was no secret, with Zelensky himself confirming this only months ago. I wish you health, fellow Ukrainians. Avdivka, our positions, our guys. Ukraine is defending its own here, defending our entire nation, just as on the entire front line. And it seems Zelensky's very public declaration at the gates of Avdivka was a kiss of death for its defenders. It also made their humiliating defeat and retreat all the more painful to break to its funders at the Munich Security Conference. So what to do? Well, that's easy. Suddenly become concerned with the lives of your soldiers. The same soldiers Zelensky has asked to die in their hundreds of thousands for his Western partners. Ukraine's new commander, Alexander Sierski, gave the command to retreat after Ukrainian forces began to flee their positions, leaving any hopes of an early symbolic victory for the new commander smoldering in the rubble alongside large amounts of Western-supplied hardware. Thousands of Ukrainians died due to this decision, one his predecessor, Valery Zaluzhny, had allegedly suggested take place months earlier. The order of the Ukrainian Armed Forces Commander-in-Chief Sirsky to abandon the city was issued only a day after Ukrainian troops began fleeing uncontrolled from Avdeevka. Measures are currently being taken to finally clear the city of militants. The liberation of Avdeevka has made it possible to move the front line away from Donetsk thereby significantly securing from terrorist attacks by the criminal regime in Kiev. And while the long-suffering people of Donetsk breathe a sigh of relief, Zelensky has decided that the incompetence and strategic foolishness had nothing to do with the loss of the critical territory. Neither did the overwhelming power of the Russian army. It was all the West's fault. They just couldn't give him enough cash. We are very much counting on a positive decision by Congress. This package is vital for us. We are not considering an alternative today because we count on the United States as our strategic partner. If we talk about an alternative, it means that it is not our strategic partner. Well, handshakes and rounds of applause are fine, but it's rounds of ammunition that Zelensky needs. And as of today, that crucial U.S. aid package still seems nowhere to be seen. All this comes as the Biden White House piles on the guilt, suggesting that the fall of Avdiyaka was directly linked to Ukraine's lack of aid. But while saying that, even Joe Biden seems unsure whether the Russians can be stopped. How confident are you that there isn't another city that falls right after this, that Congress acts I'm not. I'm not. No one can be. So, as another strategically crucial Ukrainian stronghold falls, it's getting harder and harder for Zelensky to maintain credibility in the West. His popularity is tanking, the money's drying up, and his Western backers are increasingly feeling that they've backed the wrong horse in Kiev. And one thing is absolutely certain. Avdiivka may not only define a military turning point in Ukraine, it may also come to define a political one, too. And that's all in today's international news from non-NATO media. For KPFK's Rebel Alliance News, I'm Paulina Vasiliev. KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. 
And that just about does it for tonight here on Rebel Alliance News. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you can't listen here on the radio, you can always stream us. We are at rebelalliancenews.com. Go check it out. We are here Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. right here on KPFK 90.7 FM. And I want to give a big thanks to all the people here that make this show possible, like Ziri for her production and guidance, as well as Paulina for the non-NATO news, Don DeBar, and as always, Wendell Handy for his board operation skills. Come back tomorrow here at 6 p.m. and you can hear all that non-corporate independent news that has not been corrupted by Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson or any of those big scary companies that want to eat you. Sounds good. We will see you here tomorrow. Good night. Radio station on.